Our scripture reading for today comes from Ephesians 3, and we've been in Ephesians now for a few weeks uh, as we continue. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, thank you for the way that you have prepared us to hear your word explained. Thank you, too, for the preparation that has gone into bringing it to us. We pray that it will take root in our hearts exactly the way we need to need it to, to bring you honor. May it bear your fruit in us individually, but also as a body of people who want to serve you together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. Start out this morning with a couple of testimonies. The first is from Blaise Pascal, a 17th century French mathematician, physicist, inventor, philosopher, writer, uh, theologian. His testimony comes from the year of grace, 1654, Monday, November 23. From about 10.30 in the evening to about a half an hour after midnight. Fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and the savants. Certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, thy God shall be my God. Forgetting the world and everything except God. He is only found by the paths taught in the gospel. Grandeur of the human soul. Just Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. Joy, 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 tears of joy. My God, will you abandon me? May I not be eternally separated from him. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and him whom you have sent, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. I separated myself from him. I fled him, renounced him, crucified him. May I never be separated from him. 
He is only kept by the paths taught in the gospel, total and sweet renunciation, total submission to Jesus Christ, eternally in joy for a day of trial on the earth. When Pascal died, they found these words sewn into the lining of his coat. Turns out he had done this from the time when he had this experience of the Lord, which seemed to overwhelm him, overwhelm him in a way that words almost failed him. You uh, heard just the way he was trying to capture some of the emotion of that experience. Pascal was a very able writer. Uh, some of you may have read some of his previous things. He doesn't normally write in this style, but what was so arresting to him was this experience of the love of Christ. Others have had similar experiences. Dwight Al Moody recounts an experience November 24, 1871. It seems that they all happen in November, which is good news for us right now. Uh, November 24, 1871, Moody had lost his church in a fire in Chicago and had made his way to New York uh, where he was seeking some help. Day and night he was walking the streets of New York desperate for the touch of God's power in his life, and then suddenly, these are his words, one day, oh, what a day, I cannot describe it, I seldom refer to it, it is almost too sacred an experience to name, I can only say that God revealed himself to me, and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience if you should give me all the world. All the world would be but small dust in its balance. Here's another one. His name is Daniel Steele, not Danielle Steele. Uh, this is Daniel Steele, a Methodist minister. Uh, he said almost every week, and sometimes every day now, a pressure of his great love comes down upon my heart with the light of his radiant presence. The inner spot of my heart has been touched, and its flintiness has been melted in the presence of love divine, all loves excelling. I share these with you, certainly not to discourage anyone. Uh, if you're feeling like, why haven't I had an experience like this or, you know, this type of experience would assure that I am a Christian or anything of that nature. Uh, we have these testimonies, these gifts, and some of you, I'm sure, could add your own testimony to the list because of the reality of what Paul is praying for the Ephesians when we come to this passage in Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. It is in, in so many ways the pinnacle of the book of Ephesians. We've been walking through this book now. Remember that Paul starts from this heavenly view and he sort of unfolds to us the plan of salvation, the plan of salvation uh, that begins with God. Uh, that focuses on a dead people and brings them to 
life uh, that takes a disparate people and makes them one. And and Paul is now coming to the end of of this explanation with a prayer that, uh, that folks would experience, that folks would know the unknowable power of the Lord Jesus Christ as He takes up residence in our hearts. As we've been mentioning, it's not simply for a personal experience, uh, though Paul recognizes that we come each as individual stones being built together into this holy temple, as we looked at at the end of chapter 2. But it is the purpose of, it is for the purpose of being built into this temple, uh, that it would rise to the glory of God, that there would be this unity uh, that he calls the church, the church which is the monument to the glory of God, and that this, this church would rise up. And it's for this purpose Uh, that Paul prays. Remember last week we started in chapter 3 verse 1 and he says, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, and then he stops and he goes back and sort of talks about, wait a minute, I I need to help you to understand what it doesn't mean that I'm a prisoner and what it does mean. Uh, But then he comes back in verse 14 and he says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. He is connecting it with the end of chapter 2. And the end of chapter 2 is this this temple being built together that rises to the glory of God. And this is why Paul is praying what he's praying in Ephesians 3, 14 to the end of the chapter, uh, that we would be filled with all the fullness of God, uh, that God's glory, as it were, would come and would fill this temple. So, it's not wrong to read this individually, Uh, Certainly, we experience the presence and the power of God each individually, uh, but we, we cannot miss the fact that as he prays for individuals, it's with the whole in mind. It's with the community in mind as we rise to the glory of God. And so I want to walk through this and uh, use the tree analogy last week to sort of frame our time together. I uh, could have used that again this week, but we'll, we'll go to the feast analogy. After all, we've been talking about a feast to enjoy, and, and this in so many ways is the culmination of this feast. Let's start with how Paul sets the table. Uh, there are so many things here that he's been talking about already, these themes that he is now drawing together, and, and like a prism, he's taking all the individual rays. And, and concentrating them down so they're you know, creating this one great sort of holy fire. Uh, he talks about, our, uh, he's praying for, to the Father. We've been introduced to Jesus as our Father in chapter 1, 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ 
who has adopted us uh, to be part of his family. We see family mentioned here, the father from whom every family on earth draws its name. Uh, the family motif is taken up in chapter 1 with the fatherhood and the adoption. Uh, it's carried out in chapter 2 where he talks about how we are members, I think it's verse 19, members of the household of God. Uh, then he talks about uh, that we would that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with power. Uh, the riches of his glory. I mean, this is a theme that has come up over and over and over again. You look at chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished on us. Uh, we see it in verse 11. In him we've obtained this inheritance. Again then in verse 18 where he mentions the riches of his glorious inheritance. In 2.7, uh, so that in the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness uh, towards us in Christ Jesus. Then again in 3 verse 8, uh, though I am the very least, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So what Paul is doing here, and I think this is one of the things that is instructive to us uh, in our own prayers. You know, a lot of people want to know, like, how, how do we pray? Jesus' disciples were saying, you know, teach us to pray. How do we pray? What Paul does here in his prayer is he starts with God. He starts with what he knows is true about God. We see that chapter 1, the early parts. And then he uses those truths to catapult or to lever, uh, to, to move forward the, the prayer that he has and that he will now make and begin to apply at the end of chapter 3 and then on through 4 and 6. So one of the things that we learn is that doctrine, you know, the things that are true are so important. Uh, they're so important for us in our experience of God that we know who God is. He's our Father, that He's putting together this family, uh, that He is wealthy and has these unsearchable riches in Christ. Paul, Paul gathers them, again, like that prism. He takes all the individual waves and moves them together and points them in one direction. The other thing that I'll just note in terms of the table being set is that Paul bows his knees before the Father. Now, I, some of you probably know that bowing your knees was, was not really the traditional Jewish way to pray. Uh, Jewish folks would stand for prayer. Uh, and we see that in places like uh, Luke 18, where you have the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. The Pharisee stood, you know, near the altar with his eyes up to heaven. The tax collector stood in, in the back and his face was cast down, but, but they were standing. We do have some examples of, of bowing, 
in, in the Old Testament. One of the notable examples is when King Solomon is praying and the, and the temple is filled with the glory of God and he is driven to his knees before the presence of, uh, of the holy God at that time. And Paul here uh, willingly takes up this posture. There's so much temple imagery here. There's so much about the Shekinah glory. And, and Paul is saying, like, this is such, a, such an overwhelming, such a powerful experience. I, I bow my knees before the Father. I bow my knees before this glorious one. And again, we're thinking about the table being set and the things that we might observe and that we might learn. You know, what, what is the posture of our hearts when we come to prayer? Now, I know some of that may be uh, sort of uh, conditioned by uh, folks that, that you've been around that have prayed, how you've grown up in, in your home. Uh, or in your campus group where you first learned to pray, or, or any of those things. Uh, and there are idiosyncrasies, and there's no one right way to do it, but it's more about the posture of the heart. Uh, it's more about recognizing that we come to one who is both powerful and good. Jesus captures it in the, the Lord's Prayer that we prayed this morning, right? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed or holy, set apart be your name. He is both good and he is powerful. And Paul uh, follows the model of Christ so well. So the table is set. The table is set uh, by the posture of Paul's heart. The table is set by the, the doctrines, the truths that, that Paul is marshalling into his prayer. Uh, now, what is it that he prays? Uh, I like the way that John Stott sort of organizes it in his thinking. He says, I like to think of the apostles' petitions as a staircase by which he climbs higher and higher in his aspiration for his readers. His prayer staircase has four steps whose key words are strength, love, knowledge, and fullness. More precisely, he prays that they would be strengthened by the indwelling Christ through his spirit. Secondly, that they may be rooted and grounded in love. Thirdly, that they may know Christ's love in all of its dimensions, although it's beyond knowledge. And fourthly, that they would be filled right up to the very fullness of God. So we'll take that as our organization pattern for the, the next section. The food is consumed. We're, we're going to tuck in, as it were. Uh, the table is set. Now we, we tuck in and, and we devour the food that God has set before us on this table that Paul is praying for the Ephesian church. The first is that they would be strengthened by power uh, by His Spirit, or strengthened with power by His Spirit in their inner being. A couple of years ago, I, I had the opportunity to be in Tokyo, Japan. Uh, some of you have been there. Some of you know that, that in the, uh, the bay 
the Tokyo Bay, they are continuing to push out and, and reclaim land and build these enormous high-rises. Uh, and it's kind of a little scary. I think some of what they use to reclaim the land is actually trash uh, from the city, but they are basically just you know, building out big things and then digging down very deep because they have to have a foundation in order to erect these enormous skyscrapers that, you know, a number of uh, thousands of people are, are going to live in. In many ways, though, we, we have Paul's vision here. Stott calls it a staircase, but maybe thinking about it in terms of a building can help us really grasp what he's saying. Because I think that there is an order here. When Paul talks about being strengthened by power, uh, strengthened with power uh, by the Spirit in your inner being, think of it as the, the digging down into the deep uh, in order to excavate, to make space in order to lay a foundation that you can erect a skyscraper in. Uh, Paul's first petition, as it were, is for strength, because what is coming is such a superstructure that it cannot be contained unless you are strengthened, unless there is enough space, enough capacity uh, in order to lay a foundation that can eventually hold the superstructure, which is the fullness of God. And so as we think about this first petition, we, we think about it in terms of the openness that we have towards God. Uh, and that's what Paul is praying. He's saying, I, you know, I'm going to just start here, that you would be strengthened with power by His Spirit, that the Spirit would be at work in you, excavating out all of the distractions, excavating out all of the obstacles, excavating out all of your, your doubts and your fears, and opening you up uh, so that the love of Christ can pour in. And this is such a great place for us to pray as well. Uh, that, that we would come before the Lord and say, Lord, before I bring you any petition, you know, before I uh, begin talking, you know, help me just to be quiet and allow you to do that excavation work that would clear out and make space for you to come and to fill me with your power and your presence. And this is the Spirit's work, right? Uh, we see this in the Old Testament. You know, David, uh, Psalm 139, search me and know me, try me, see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, David's first prayer is not what he knows, <laughs> but there is that, that admission of the fact that I, I need to be searched and I need to be known. There needs to be that excavation uh, that, that happens in my life. The next two petitions both surround this idea of love. Uh, the second one is that uh, you would be rooted and grounded in love. The third one is that you would know or grasp Christ's love which surpasses knowledge. 
Love is, is certainly the foundation. We saw that back in Ephesians chapter 1 as well, where he talks about, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, even as he predestined us, uh, uh, chosen in him, chose us in him in love uh, before the foundation of the world. Uh, this is a, a major theme for Paul. Uh, Paul wants us to understand that God moves towards us, not out of a sense of obligation or duty, uh, and we respond to him, not out of a sense of obligation or duty, but it is a relationship that is characterized by, by love. And, and what Paul wants is that he says, okay, now that the whole is there, uh, fill it in with this foundational material. Like this is, this is the stuff that can actually hold and form the superstructure that is going to be built that is your life as an individual stone connected with everybody else's life as an individual stone. Uh, it is the love, and he wants us to, to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And he's already talked about the width and the, the length and the heights and the depths. The heights, you remember, go all the way up into heaven. You know, as we are looking down, Paul is saying, here's the love of Christ. They go all the way down into the depths of Sheol where we were dead uh, but have been made alive. They are so wide that they encompass all of the people of the world. Uh, we are all part of God's family, and they are so long that they go through the annals of time before the foundations of the world. Paul says this is the stuff that you can be then rooted and grounded in. Rooted, uh, it's not just simply two ways of saying the same thing. He, he wants you to understand like this is a living solidity. Uh, you know, grounded, that's, that's the foundation, that's what we put down. You remember when we were putting the addition out here, they started by digging the hole and then laying the foundation. You saw those, plate, those pieces as it was going out. And Paul is saying, the love is, is what is grounding you. Uh, Christ's love for you, your love uh, that extends to all folks, uh, that extends back to God. That is the foundation of the Christian life, and he wants us to know how wide and long and high and deep, all of that. Uh, but then it's also rooted, and that is more of the, the tree imagery. And it's true, we, we know that these trees, we see what goes up uh, above the ground, but we know that these enormous trees, they have just a tremendous root system that's going down. But that root system isn't just inanimate. It, it's, it's drawing nutrients, and, and it's growing, and it's grabbing the earth as it is. And that's what Paul wants us to understand, that you are these living stones. Remember how Peter talks about it, talked about that when we were looking at chapter 2? You are, are rooted and grounded. You're not just laying there, but you are sinking deep into the soil that has been excavated out. You're sinking deep into that. And it's out of this then that this superstructure is going to arise. 
Paul's prayer is for the, the Ephesians to experience what this means in their life. This is part of, uh, you know, what points us to our own disciplines and exercise of communion with God, uh, pursuing after Him, meditating on Him. We cannot expect to go beyond in terms of uh, our growth and just the way that we manifest to the world if we don't go deep. Uh, we, we have to be rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. The third thing, then, is that we would know or grasp Christ's love, which surpasses knowledge. I mean, you, you realize the irony of, of what Paul is saying here. He says, I want you to know that which is unknowable. Uh, two things just to highlight with this. This, this word know that we have translated in, um, in the ESV this way, sometimes translated grasp, uh, which is a little bit different. Um, knowing, we tend to think intellectually. Grasping, we tend to think of something a little bit more physically. The word in Greek is katalambano. Uh, it, it can mean to know or to grasp. It can also mean to be captured by. Uh, you know, that you can be grasped. Peter talks about this uh, in Acts chapter 10 um, when he grasps the fact, he's captured by the fact that the Gentiles are now included. That's the Cornelius episode. The Gentiles are now included in God's family. He's, he's arrested by it. He's grasped by it. And that's what Paul is praying for the Ephesians here. He's saying, as, as you've been excavated out, the foundation has been laid, and now as it is being filled, as it, the, the superstructure is being built, I want you to be grasped. I want you to know. I want you to be captured by the love of Christ, which is so great, so, uh, so intense, so pure, so holy, that you really are not going to be able to know it fully intellectually. You're not going to be able to describe it. But this is what I am praying for you. And this is a good prayer. Now, some people say, Wait, I, I thought Paul was writing to Christians. Uh, and, and here Paul is praying things like, you know, I'm praying that Christ would dwell in your hearts, you know, that he would take up residence in your hearts. I'm praying that you would know Christ. Aren't these people who already have Christ dwelling in them and already know him? And the answer is yes, of course. Uh, when, you, when you become a Christian, you, you have everything. There's not like different degrees of Christianity in terms of, you know, uh, this person's a level one Christian and that person's a level seven Christian. That you, you are saved or not. You, you have all the riches of Christ poured into you or not. However, uh, we, we don't experience all, it all at once. 
Uh, we, we couldn't experience it all at once. You hear that with somebody like Pascal or, or Moody. They're just like, it, it was too much. I had to ask God to stay his hand. If God were to suddenly reveal to you all of his immense love towards you, it would absolutely crush us. And what Paul is praying here and what we pray is that we might grow in our experience of that, that we might continue to taste more and more all of the immensity that God has for us in, in us. Uh, and that's what, what Paul is praying here, that I would be arrested, that I would be grasped by these unsearchable riches, this unknowable, incomprehensible love of Christ. Um, and we move towards that. So again, we don't, we don't hold this out uh, as something to shame anybody because if you are in Christ, that is, if you have put your faith trust in Him, you've surrendered, you've said, there is no other way. You may not have all the answers, you may not have uh, had this experience that you think that you ought to have had. Uh, you are fully in Christ. But, but one of the things that Jesus just wants us to know is that there are, are more paths to be explored. You know, there is a deeper depth uh, to enjoy. There is more. There is always more. And we can keep pressing on into the blessedness of our Savior. And finally, what he prays then is that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. So the building now has been excavated, the foundation has been laid, uh, the beams have all gone up, and now it's filled with the fullness of who God is. There, you know, all the lights are on. Uh, the power is, is, is tripped, uh, and it's just blazing. With, with the glory of God. And, and that's Paul's prayer because that's the whole purpose. You know, we are a monument to God's glory. We, as we, uh, as we live individually, we, as we come together communally, we are the holy temple that is rising to the glory of God. And, and that's what Paul is praying. He'll come back to that prayer in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, verses like 9 to 14, in saying he ascended, what does it mean? Uh, but that he also descended. He who descended is also far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Uh, and he gave the apostles and the prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip the saints, building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity uh, to the measure of the status of the fullness of Christ. So again, it's not that you don't have the fullness of Christ when we're in Christ, we're in union with Him by faith, but what Paul is saying is that this would blaze forth from you, that this indwelling Christ that has taken up residence in your heart, that, that He would, would remake you in such a way uh, that it would display all of the fullness, all of the fullness of who God is.
That's Paul's prayer for this Ephesian church. Remember this church that's in the middle of a secular, polytheistic world, a church that is made up of, of some wealthy but mostly uh, uh, poor, slave people, Gentiles, people who are on the margins. And he says, I am praying that you would blaze with glory uh, because of what Christ is doing in your midst, both individually and as he binds you together collectively. And that's Paul's prayer. Uh, it's, it's for this reason, uh, as he connects it back to the building together of, uh, of the temple. There is a, a man just sticking with the food analogy. He was one of the desert fathers. He's called Didymus the Blind. Um, he says, you know the belch of the food that has been previously swallowed yields its fragrance. For a belch is nothing other than the going forth of the wind from the mouth, revealing the quality of that which has been previously swallowed. Uh, and and what, what he's saying there here is he's saying if, if we are Christians and we, we have ingested the richest of fare, if we have dined on the delicacies of Christ, if we have, uh, if we have uh, consumed all that God has set the table for us with, then the aroma that exudes from us should be that of glory, should be that of Christ. Brothers and sisters, I, I, mean, I, I ask you, I ask us, do we know the love of Christ? Not just know about it. I mean, it's one thing to know the baseball card, right? Recite all the stats. It's another thing to meet the player and to be able to talk about all of the things that they do. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, don't be content with just knowing about Christ. Don't be content with just being orthodox. Don't be content with, with just following the rules. But, but get on your knees and pray that, that God would open you wide to receive the work of the Spirit in your heart that you might know the heights and the lengths, and the depths, and the breadth of the love of Christ. It's a good prayer. It's a good prayer for those who have known uh, the, the truth of the gospel, that it's not us. We, we relate so much to that, that tax collector, you know, Lord, uh, have mercy on me, a sinner. We, we understand that. We understand that in ourselves, we, we stand far off. But what has Paul said? He said, in Christ, his finished work, you've been brought near. And now the, the call is to go forward and open ourselves up to receive, receive the goodness of Christ. Eugene Peterson puts it this way. He says, Christ in me, is not easy, but it's possible. It takes place through faith, but it does take place. We believe that God exists. We believe He's a powerful God. But to believe that He actually dwells in our lives, 
Many of us never dare to go quite that far. Instead, we tend to take the easy way out in our religion, keeping everything at arm's length. But in doing so, we rob ourselves of everything that's unique and glorious in our faith, having God live his life in ours. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this passage, and as we come to it, we bow our knees before you. We recognize that you are holy. We recognize that, that you are powerful beyond our imagining. We recognize that you are good. We recognize that you are working out your purposes in this world, that you are the one that has innumerable resources at your disposal. And Father, now we would pray with Paul that we would be strengthened with power through the Spirit in our inner being, that we would be rooted and grounded in love, that we would be grasped, that we would be taken captive by the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, uh, and that we would rise with all of the fullness of God on display in our lives, both individually and corporately. Holy Spirit, we cannot do this on our own. Uh, we, we need your work, and so we pray. Here we are. We believe. Help our unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen.